Over the next several weeks, we're going to do something that is different for us. We're going to begin uh, a series that will put us in a place that um, in some ways puts us more in line with much of the global church. So lots of churches, there are, as you know, multitude of kind of streams of what it means to be Christian. There are different denominations, and there are different uh, split-offs of the denominations, and there are all kinds of different breaks. And we have these little differences that we uh, sometimes fight over and sometimes just disagree over and sometimes decide, okay, they're not that big a deal, so we can cooperate, but we still look different. And, and all these streams of faith... Many of these churches that exist in these different streams that share together this understanding of walking inside what has been a traditional church calendar. A calendar that helps them determine where they are in the year, helps them determine what season it is in the life of the church. Easter is a season, Advent is a season, Christmas is a season... And there's these multitude of seasons that they walk through, and as they... Walk through this church calendar, many of them also use a guide that helps them with the reading of Scripture. This guide is called the lectionary. Many of us have never heard of it because it's not common in our little stream of Christianity. But the lectionary is a reading guide. It's a reading guide that each week, each Sunday, has four readings in it. There's a reading from the Old Testament. There's a, there's a psalm reading. There's a gospel reading. And there's a reading from the epistles. And many of the churches that use the lectionary or follow these readings will use all four of them in their worship services. They'll have the Old Testament reading. And they'll have the psalm reading. And they'll have the New Testament reading. And if you use the lectionary, it walks along the calendar, and it also allows these churches to read most of the scriptures. There are some passages that it doesn't include, but most of the way through the scriptures, every three years, in kind of a journey that goes together. The, the four fit together in a theme. They walk alongside um, the church calendar, as I mentioned And over the next several weeks, we're going to use the lectionary as our guide for where we're going with scripture texts. Now, now what many of us don't know is we actually use a portion of the lectionary almost every week because our time that we call receiving the invitation, I usually read a passage of scripture and I most often select that passage of scripture from one of the lectionary texts, which puts us in this place that we are often reading passage with kind of the wider global church. And as we do this series, we're going to also use the gospel text as what leads us into the passage that we're going to look at in the story of Jesus all the way up to Easter and including Easter Sunday. We do this for a multitude of reasons, but one of them is because deciding to walk in this way puts us in a place that we get to celebrate the beauty, the diversity that is the global church. We get to be unified together even in the realities that, that sometimes we find ourselves in such different places and different spaces. So that'll be our, that will be our guide over the next several weeks. Also, as we do this, um, we have invested in something, um, a Linton guide. I'm going to lay them out here. But we have bought um, 
a Lenten guide because this season of the church calendar is the season that is called Lent. And many of us also are unfamiliar with what it means to walk through Lent. Some of us not even are, are unfamiliar with it, but we in some way reject it. Uh, pushing it out as something that, that we don't do. That's not us. That's someone else. But the reality is that Lent, much like Advent, is a, is a season of, of preparation. So Advent, which we know and kind of talk about, prepares us for Christmas. Lent prepares us for Easter. And this Lenten guide it gives us the ability to kind of walk through this journey of preparing for Easter together. In it, Ruth Haley Barton, who wrote it, uh, makes this statement that sometimes we think of Lent simply as a time of giving something up. And maybe as you think of Lent, that's what comes to mind. Well, I have friends who do Lent, and that means they don't eat certain things for the next 40 days. Or that means that they, that they give something up for a time. But what Barden also says in here is that Lent is much more than a season of just giving something up. She says that this is the ultimate question of Lent. How will I repent and return to God with all of my heart? I think there's a slide on that. Pull that up for me if you will, Tim. Just so you can see that. Because the reality is, no matter our stream of faith, no matter the journey that we've been in or the road that we've come from, that question really sits at the core of all of our faith journeys. The question of, how do I turn away from my own selfish desires and commit to fully following Jesus? Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about these these lifestyle commitments that we ask of people. People who are, are willing to say, Valley is going to be the people that I journey forward in faith with. And we've talked about three kind of commitments that we would make of saying that if this is going to be the family of faith that you walk forward with, these are the things that we ask of all of us. Whole life discipleship, investment in the Valley family, missional living among our neighbors and the nations. And this time of Lent, this season of preparing to celebrate the resurrection gives us a time to think about what those commitments mean, to receive those, to be challenged in those, to grow in those, even to commit more boldly to them. So we've done this guide. This guide will give us the opportunity to walk through an inspirational reading each week of Lent, each week of this season leading up to Easter. And then also in it is the guide to the lectionary passages, the four passages that make up that week's lectionary reading. And for those of you that, that choose to have one, we've got 50. So we don't have enough for each person, but we probably have enough for each family. Uh, if you're not interested, don't take one out of obligation. Um, I, I don't care that it ends up in your trunk. Um, that's not where we want it. If you're not going to take one and participate with us, then just leave them uh, and someone will use them. But we're in cycle B. Again, there's three years. There's a cycle A, a cycle B, and a cycle C. We're in cycle B. So as you get this, it's actually prepared for every year of the Lenten season. So the A readings are here and the B readings are here and the C readings are here. Yes, that's going to get confusing for many of you because you didn't just hear me say twice. We're in B. B as in boy. I've now said it four times and many of you still won't pick it up. So I'll get an email or a note this week or next and you'll say, I don't know which of those passages I was supposed to read. That's okay. Just read all 12. It really won't hurt 
hurt you. But if you only want to read the ones that we're supposed to this year, we're in B. B is in boy. Um, and you'll take those and you'll read those. Um, but there's an inspirational reading and then the passage. And then there is a space for some journaling or some time of reflection if you want to do that. But it gives us a chance to walk through this together, to prepare for this together, to have read the passage before we walk into worship and be prepared for this season of preparation, for building up towards Easter. The first reading actually begins Wednesday, as Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. So we invite you, if you would like, to journey with us in that, to spend time in this season of preparing for Easter. In this next, I think it's eight weeks, between now and Easter, of getting ready for what's coming. This morning, we want to look at Mark 9. The passage that I read, which is also a lectionary text before we enter the Lenten season. Actually, next Sunday is the first season of Lent. But we're going to start there this week as we walk into this new series. And we, we look at the passage from Mark 9, um, which is the passage of that we often call, or some of your Bibles subtitled, The Transfiguration. And I have to be honest, there are a few of you that as I read the last verses, because the last verses are really good, responded with uh, amen or some excitement. Because there's some excitement in it. And yet at the same time, it's a really weird passage. Um, At least it was for me. As I read it and I thought about it, there's kind of this mystical, magical kind of weird scene taking place as Peter and James and John and Jesus head up to the mountaintop. Throughout the scriptures, the the mountaintop is a special place. It's often true that on top of a mountain is where God reveals something new or gives some kind of revelation to his people. We see that with Moses and we see that with Elijah and we see that with, with several of our stories of faith. We saw that with Abraham and we see that here again as these three disciples have walked up the mountain with Jesus. And the story tells us, That as we're there, apparently Jesus wants those that are with him to hear something special. And as we read it now, again, to find something special in this. The story tells us that as they were there, that that Jesus' clothes began to glow white. An unimaginable white, whiter than, than any bleach, it says, could bleach his clothes. They began to glow. And in the midst of this, Moses and Elijah showed up. And they started having this conversation with Jesus. Again, as I told you, I think this story is strange. And as I try, because this is often what I do when I read a story from the scriptures, I try and imagine myself in this moment. What might it have been like to be there? And this one is hard for me to even get my mind around what it might have been like to stand there among these people watching what was happening from the outskirts. Because this story, it just feels different, almost like a fairy tale, almost like it, like it has a cartoon-type nature to it. And in my mind, as I thought about it, that kept popping up. What does it mean for clothes to be whiter than bleach can make them? What does it mean to be standing here and all of a sudden these, these people, these heroes of the faith are there and they're, they're talking with Jesus who you just walked up the mountain with. You know there were only four of you on the way up and now there's six of you standing there. And what in the world does that mean? And how do you figure that out? And, and how do you get into that? Apparently, I'm not 
not the only one that thought the situation was strange. Peter also thought it was strange. Because the text tells us that he began to speak this, this sort of gibberish. As he said that we should build these tents or these tabernacles or these coverings or these spaces for these three people. And there's no explanation as to why he said such a thing. Why did he say these are the things that we should build? And as I looked at commentaries this week, all of the commentators kept saying, we don't have any idea what Peter was even talking about. It doesn't make sense. You can't stretch back somewhere and go, oh, well, it was obviously this or it was obviously that, as we sometimes can with the scriptures. They all say all we can do is guess at what Peter might have been hinting at when he said these things. Perhaps he was throwing out this idea and trying to connect it to one of the Jewish feasts, maybe the Feast of Tabernacles. And he was throwing out this idea that we should build three tabernacles to celebrate these men. Maybe he was trying to say we should build a space and we should worship all three of these great men. Or, Or maybe it was just the idea that they should build a memorial to each of them. We see all the time in the Old Testament the building of 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 like an altar in order to memorialize a space or something special that happened. And they said maybe that his idea was that they should build three memorials and they should celebrate these three great Jewish heroes. In a sense, Peter's question kind of brings a sort of freeze frame to what's going on. As we're watching this odd story kind of play out, there's there's Peter's question. And for a moment, it's, it's as if it hits the pause button. Or at least the slow motion button. And we're supposed to read that and go, huh? Wait a minute, what, what's going on here? There are those that wonder if he was actually trying to do the same thing. Was all of this just a whirlwind? And as he asked his question, he was like, hold on, hold on. This will bring it all to a place that it will slow down a little bit. N.T. Wright, a well-known scholar talks about this being like taking a a picture of a sunset. As you see this beautiful thing, you hope that by taking a picture, it will make it last at least a moment longer. So that you can appreciate and enjoy that something beautiful is taking place. And that that picture stills things. Reality is, his words were completely unexplained. There's no clarification as to what he was trying to do. Other than this that gets mentioned in verse 6. He said this, Peter, he said this because he didn't really know what else to say. For they were all terrified. Peter was scared. Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Peter didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand why this was taking place. And if you know much about the character of Peter throughout the scriptures, especially as he walks with Jesus, Peter is always trying to figure things out before Jesus has made it ready for him to figure it out. Peter always wants to get it before it's time to get it. Peter always starts talking before he understands exactly what's going on or before it's even possible for him to get there. Peter wants the answers before there are ever answers to be had. And as I think about that and I think about scared Peter and I think, oh, because he's terrified, he just starts talking, thinking he can make sense of it if he just kind of puts words to it. Now, all of a sudden, I can imagine myself being Peter. Where I couldn't imagine it before, as I think about that and I read that passage now, it's like, oh, 
cool, okay, now I think I get it because I don't want to wait for anything either. I don't want to wait for understanding. I want understanding to come now. I don't want to wait for the fullness of the things of God to come to fruition in me. The idea of the fruits of the Spirit, the idea of my faith growing, the idea of healing, the idea of becoming transformed. I want transformed to have been accomplished yesterday. The idea that it might take me the rest of my life is something a bit overwhelming that I'm not sure how to handle. Because this waiting and this process and this slow journey is harder to get. I want to get it now. I want to understand it now. I want it to happen now. But the reality of our faith journey is that it takes time. It takes patience and constant obedience and this continual commitment that we will journey forward. Because the reality is that you and I, if we are journeying in faith, are consistently growing in our understanding and our ability to know and follow Christ more and more fully. Perhaps you too understand what it's like to be here. What it's like to try and rush The work of God. What it's like to long for things to be settled now. Immediately. Wishing that Jesus would work on your schedule rather than on God's timing. Longing for answers or healing or wisdom or understanding. And wanting all of that to come now or better yet yesterday. But you find yourself in this space that they still haven't come. You're still waiting. You're still watching. You're still wondering. You're still hoping. I think that this experience on the mountaintop was a unique experience where Jesus kind of pulled back the cover of what was taking place. And for these three disciples, he said, here, have a glimpse of this. Watch what's taking place. Watch what's going on. But it was just a peek at the work that was taking place. It was just a peek. It wasn't a full picture. It wasn't a full understanding. It was only a glimpse of what God was doing. It was only a glimpse of where Jesus was going. There were still lots of holes in it. The image was still kind of fuzzy. But for the disciples, as they stood here, everything was still unclear. And they looked and they wondered. And they said, what is going on with this guy who is this man that we're following this man that we've given so much to be around to be with this conference that took place on the mountaintop as jesus met with moses and elijah and they began to have this conversation allowed these disciples to recognize both the parallels and the divergences between jesus and his counterparts It allowed them to see that Jesus was continuing work that was in line with Moses and Elijah and what they'd done. He was completing the work of the prophets. And Moses and Elijah stood there as the greatest representatives. For a Jewish reader that would have read this, Moses and Elijah being there would have given greater credence to the words that Jesus had been saying. It would have legitimized his work. It would have elevated the nature of his claims. And yet, as they stood here and they watched all of this take place, it also became clear that Jesus wasn't just a prophet like the others. 
that Jesus was more than they were, that Jesus was different than they were. We watch as this glowing of clothes takes place. And then a voice from the clouds. And this voice says that there's something special in this one, that he is beloved. The voice called Jesus Son. And all they could infer based on that is that this was the Son of God. This was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And yet they weren't sure what that meant. They weren't sure how to make sense of this. How this truth of this man being the Messiah fit with everything that they expected of the Messiah. With the ways in which that they expected salvation would come and the Messiah would make all things new. But they were coming to understand that there was something spectacular about this man. There was something spectacular about this rabbi, about this prophet, about the Christ. And then as the picture began to become clearer and clearer, Jesus took the cover that he pulled off and he threw it back over the top. And he said, hold on, not yet. The image was veiled once again. The ending, even the very next step was made unclear. And as they walk down the mountain together, we see that that Jesus looks at the disciples and he asks them to hold in confidence what they had just experienced. Don't tell anyone what you just saw. Not yet. Wait a little longer. As if he was hinting at the reality that they didn't yet understand, but soon they would. As if he was encouraging them to walk with him a while. To come where he was going. That if they were willing to just come with him a little further down the road. That eventually it would all become clear. That eventually their questions would begin to make more sense. That eventually their questions would even change and shift and become new and different. And they would ask entirely new questions. That eventually they would experience the weight of the Messiah, that if they were willing to walk with him, that eventually they would experience both the suffering and the glory that were with Jesus. And I wonder if our faith is a little more like this than most of us care to admit. If sometimes this conversation of faith and this conversation of walking with Jesus is is still a little hazy, if it's a little foggy, but we believe that we've been called to walk forward, so we walk forward not exactly sure where we're going and not exactly sure what God is doing or where Jesus is leading, but believing that walking with him is better than walking apart from him. So we continue to travel forward, hoping and praying that as we move forward, things will become more and more clear. I remember a professor in seminary who used to talk about traveling with God and he talked about it as if it was driving in a car around the the road alongside a mountain. Headlights are on, but the headlights can never show you what is around the next curve. They only show you that there is a curve ahead. And it's not until you approach the curve and it's not until you travel through the curve that the headlights are able to illuminate what exists beyond the curve. And I wonder if faith actually looks more like that for us. If the reality is that Jesus was inviting them and Jesus is inviting us to journey a new way. 
But this new way wasn't a way that was erasing the old way. It was building upon it. This new way that Jesus was calling these disciples into, it wasn't instead of the old way. But it was developing it into something even more beautiful. This new way was the way of Jesus. Not Jesus the prophet. Jesus the Messiah. This was the way of salvation. And yet what they weren't quite prepared for is that the way of salvation would also require solitude and suffering. It would require heartbreak and confusion and repentance. It would be way more difficult than they ever imagined. It would be far more painful than they ever anticipated. But it would be also more beautiful than they ever dreamed possible. Over the next few weeks, as we use the lectionary as our guide and we walk through these passages of Scripture, we're going to look at at some of these aspects of what it means to walk along this new way, what it means to decide that we will follow the way of Jesus. Even though the way is sometimes unclear. And as we talk about it and we walk through it, we'll be reminded that this way is full of twists and turns. That it requires these steps of faith, but that each step enlightens the next step. Each step gives us wisdom into how we take more steps and how we continue to go forward. And as we travel with Jesus, we find out that that many of our questions remain But at the same time, so does our faith. And as we travel forward in this new way, we recognize that the road between the mountaintop and the tomb requires lots of ups and downs. That this way of Jesus will be both mountaintops and valleys. That it will be both the cross and the empty tomb. That it will be both suffering and glory. It is not either or, it is always both and. We have been invited to journey a new way. The way of Jesus. The way of faith. And the reality is, at Valley, we have been talking about this. The reality is, we talk about this all the time. Because this is a piece of what it means for us to be on this journey of discipleship. It is this moving forward that even once we have decided to walk forward with Jesus, there is still this coming to understand, coming to know, coming to follow more faithfully. And as we continue to walk forward on this journey, this is what it means for you and I to be made into disciples and to be making disciples along the way. But in the last several weeks, what we've also been talking about alongside this is that this is not a journey that we have been asked to make alone. But this is a journey that we've been asked to travel with others on. That we've been called into this caravan, that we have been called into this space with the church, with the family, to walk forward in faith. And that our invitation is come follow Jesus with us. 
So it brings us full circle back into these lifestyle commitments, these commitments of, of whole life discipleship, of investing in the family, of missional living. And that this season that is Lent, this season that leads us up to Easter, that leads us towards the cross and the resurrection, gives us time and space. To listen to, to reflect upon, to commit ourselves to these ways of living as the body of Christ together as a valley. To travel a new way together. Would you pray with me? For just a few moments before we speak the words of prayer together, I want to invite you to once again sit in some silence, some stillness. I want to invite you to listen to the voice of God speaking to your heart and your mind. As you listen, I encourage you to also ask the question, what would it mean for me to journey forward with Jesus? To join in an entirely new way of living. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He 
He said this because he didn't really know what else to say. For they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you have invited us to go with you. That you've given us a glimpse of what is to come as you strive to make all things new. That you've given us a glimpse of what is to come as you reign in all of your glory. And now, Jesus, I ask that you would give us faith to walk the road that you have called us on between here and there. Give us faith to walk with you before we understand, before we can explain, before we can fully grasp it. Bring transformation in us. As we look to go a new way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.